Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company. For blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Yeah, well, for sure. And that's the nice thing is, uh, is I get to do both uh, throughout the year. And I would say that, yeah, like for sure, uh, the job that I'm doing now is, um, is definitely my favorite. Like that, that combination of being able to, uh, to work as a fisheries technician, uh, throughout most of the year. And, and it works out perfectly that, um, that like my off time with fisheries work, uh, is typically the spring, um, because the majority of salmon, run throughout like the late summer and and uh and fall so um that inevitable downtime happens in the spring where we're mostly doing like preseason work and planning and all that kind of stuff um so that gives me some freedom to to take time off in april may june and uh usually start working with fisheries again sometime in july so it literally it works out perfectly like with the the slow time for fisheries is uh is go time for for uh for still water fishing so it's um it's awesome that way and um, yeah, definitely honorable mention to, to Trout Waters as well, too, for sure. Like, it's uh, working there. I spent almost three years working at the shop there, and, um, yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun. And definitely, like, a huge difference between, like, the retail side of things and what I'm doing now. But as far as, like, the knowledge that I gained working in in that shop, like, talking with uh, the staff that worked there, um again like you know mm-hmm. chatting with but like bob and, and nick and sabas like learning a lot from them and also like you, you get a free education every day just from your customers right there there's kind of like a little bit of both where you're you are educating someone uh being a staff member there but you get educated too like there's a lot of very very knowledgeable people that come into that store to shop and just you get chatting with them and um, yeah, like I, I definitely wouldn't have the knowledge that I do now that made me a successful fishing guide and, and make me a successful angler without that time working at Trout uh, Waters there. So definitely a, a huge appreciation for my, my time spent working there. But uh, as far as the fun side of things go and all that kind of stuff, yeah, I would, I would say uh, you know, that uh, that combination of doing fisheries work with uh, with guiding as well too has um, been a dream come true for me and, and kind of something I've been uh, been working towards for my whole life and, and found it now. So bringing the biggest names in hunting, fishing, and the outdoors together in one place. The BC Outdoors Show, March 24 to 26, 2023, at the Chilliwack Heritage Park in Chilliwack, British Columbia. Fly fishing, fly tying, outdoor gear, lodges, fly shops, rods, boats, RVs, and much more. See you there at the BC Outdoors Show, March 24th to 26th in Chilliwack, BC. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. 
Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the fly crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order. Plus, receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you are joining us this time around, and we are going to take a trip to Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada, the heart of Stillwaters in the province of British Columbia and beyond for sure. We have got Jason Bell on the line. Now, Jason is a fisheries technician with DFO. He's based out of Kamloops, but he's also a guide at Interior Fly Fishing Company, uh, originally from the uh, Barrie area of Ontario, uh, went to University of Waterloo and has a uh, Bachelor of Arts in uh, Geography and environmental management. This guy's dialed in on entomology tying. Used to work at Trout Waters Fly and Tackle. I think we need to chat, Jason. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Mike. Really excited about this. So I, I always like to start at the very beginning because, like, your every day is fins. I mean, no matter how I slice and dice it. So walk us through your evolution in the fly fishing specifically. I'm, I'm really curious. Like, what, when did you kind of pick up fly fishing. Walk us through that a bit. Yeah, so um, um, it kind of goes back to childhood like most people. Um, fishing, especially, right, just like, I mean, I, I think I, I started fishing when I could hold the fishing rod probably, like with my dad and brothers. We were, um, yeah, definitely a, a diehard fishing family. Always did fishing trips every year. Had a boat growing up, uh, all that kind of stuff, and that was fishing in general more like for the eastern species right like um bass pike walleye all that kind of stuff um and then specific to fly fishing kind of got into it more um same thing pretty young like oh, i must have been like in elementary school like probably grade five or six i, I don't even know how old you are then maybe like 10 or or something like that and um we actually had uh, a fly fishing club at the elementary school that i went to um and i joined that and that's kind of like when my parents got me my first fly rod and uh, we did like a little bit of like learning how to fly cast um you know did a little bit of fly tying and all that kind of stuff um and then that was kind of my my intro to it um hmm. didn't do like a ton of it in ontario i did it here and there uh for like some uh some of the like ontario like the great lakes run steelhead or um that kind of stuff and then a little bit for bass and pike but um a lot of my fly fishing specifically kind of really started getting dialed into when i moved to bc uh five years ago and i, I started working at trout waters so when you originally came out west uh, obviously you're based out of kamloops now with work and and uh, and the guiding but um, what made you go to the Kelowna area? It's out of curiosity. Um, it kind of happened by accident in a way. Uh, like when I first moved to BC, um, it was after I was done school and, uh, and I actually moved to Fernie uh, out in the East Kootenays for just like uh, a winter just to, to ski and have fun and celebrate being done school. And um, yeah, I did that for, for a few months and then 
um, ended up actually taking a job in Ontario to work as a fishing guide um, up at a lodge in northern Ontario uh, near Elk Lake, which is kind of um, like if you were to draw a line on a map between North Bay and Timmins, it's kind of like halfway in between uh, up in that area. And um, wasn't specifically for fly fishing, it was more um, same thing like, you know, Ontario, classic Ontario species. We had smallmouth bass walleye uh, pike and uh, we did actually have a few trout lakes around there like remote access we uh, side by side people into them and stuff like that that had rookies and rainbows and all that kind of stuff but uh, mostly gear fishing i had a couple clients that were were fly fishermen but um that's kind of how i got into to guiding anyways and then once i was done with that it was just a summer gig so i wrapped up with that like in early october i think it was and then um, by the time I, I was done with that, I was kind of looking to move back to BC and, and stay for good. Um, and I was looking kind of in some of those smaller mountain towns, like, uh, like back to Fernie. I love Fernie. I still do. But as far as like, um, like moving there and from a career standpoint, a lot of those smaller towns are pretty hard to find jobs and, uh, housing and, and all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of expanded a little bit and and figured well like somewhere in the interior um i had uh, a little bit of extended family in vernon so i kind of narrowed down yeah maybe like Kelowna, vernon area figured Kelowna would be a good fit lots of young people um lots of, like definitely a lot more options for for housing and jobs and all that kind of stuff so i just kind of went out on a limb and uh packed my car and drove and and uh and settled in uh in Kelowna. I love it. It just seems like you're following your fish dreams. Um, so you ended up out West, uh, which makes a lot of sense. So I like to talk influences on the show. So obviously, you know, being at the shop, uh, Trout Waters, you probably, I would imagine, spent quite a bit of time around Nick and Savas. But who who would you cite as influences early on? I would say probably my biggest influence in fly fishing is actually someone that you had on the show which is bob bautista um he's uh cool. yeah been a long time member uh of the staff at, at trout waters and was definitely a huge mentor for me uh, really getting into the beginning of fly fishing and then yeah of course honorable mention uh to nick and savas too like just those three guys i would say i owe a very large portion of my knowledge um in fly fishing especially to get me started um yeah like uh, but Bob, especially, I, I spent a lot of time with him out on the water and, and then the shop. He kind of mentored me uh, throughout working at Trout Waters on, on the shop side of things and definitely on the, on the fishing side of things, too. So definitely a huge thank you to Bob. I love hearing that, like just how it comes full circle. You know, you're working there and then, you know, the guys kind of you spend some time with them. And then now you're guiding and I'm sure you're I'm sure you're still around the shop once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I can't. I actually, I just popped into Kelowna on the uh, on the weekend. This past one that uh, that went by, and I, I think since I've moved to Kamloops, I, I don't think I've done a trip to Kelowna where I haven't gone to Trail Waters. Well, and you got your own shop up. Well, not yours personally, uh, but there there's a new fly shop, a relatively new up there, which is, I I, I it always boggled my mind that there wasn't one for so many years. But uh, it's got to be got to be nice to get a shop in town again. Yeah, for sure. Definitely the supply in, uh, in Kamloops is, uh, or was a little limited. It's nice to have a, a fly shop in town for sure. And that kind of just opened up probably right around the time that I moved here. Mm-hmm. 
anyways um and so uh so that's nice uh for sure and then yeah of course like Kona, uh not too far off too and, and yeah. pretty easy phone call away if there's anything that i'm uh i'm missing and because i mean yeah like you've been to trout waters obviously a huge store and the selection there is uh mm. is unbelievable and um yeah so the the shop in camlips is a little bit smaller of a scale but definitely um definitely kind of got what most of what you need as far as the fly tying materials and, and all that kind of stuff as well too so so nice to have both yeah for sure and you're right in the heart of it there let's face it if uh, you know um, I would imagine guiding with the guys at Interior Fly Fishing Company, and we've had we've had Casey on, we've had, oh heck, I've probably had three or four guys while we've had Jordan on here. Um, I'm kind of slowly working my way through your roster here, Jason, but um, <laughs> you're central, man. Like you are kind of in the middle of everything there, and so when you're guiding, for instance, with with Interior Fly Fishing Company, are you doing mostly still water? Are you doing a little moving water? What is what does your trips look like? Yeah, with Interior specifically, we're like a still water specialist company. Like that's that's what we do. Specialize um, in lake fly fishing, uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean, as far as like, I definitely fish moving water and stuff on my own. But with as far as taking clients out and all that kind of stuff, we're uh, we specialized with uh with the still water stuff for sure yeah good stuff so i, w- I want to talk tying there's so much i want to talk to you about entomology but um first off let, let's i want to take some time to get to know your day-to-day in, in and around camlips you ready for that yeah absolutely okay so you're headed out with your good buddy um in the truck what's playing in the truck in the stereo on the way to the lake I think it's it's definitely a mix and depends on the day. Um, definitely a big rock kind of guy, like alternative rock too. Whether that's modern classic, um, like a modern, I, I kind of like uh, like Glorious Sons, the Sheep Dogs, kind of that kind of stuff. Um, going back a little bit into the '90s, early 2000s, big fan of like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters. Nirvana, um, all those kinds of bands, and even into the classics. Like I'm a, a big fan of classic rock as well too, like Pink Floyd, Leonard Skinner, like ACDC. It's kind of all over the map with that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, occasionally, like I'm, if I get in the mood, I'll listen to some some rap as well too. Like I'm a big Max Miller fan, mm-hmm. Kid Cudi, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's kind of all over the place and, and depends on the mood. But I would say. In general, mostly like uh, yeah, musical, uh, like well, yeah, more rock stuff, like stuff with instruments and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah, I feel that. So, you're on your favorite shoal. You're double anchored. Perfect day. What are you tying on more often than not? Would it be a Cronwood pattern, a leech pattern, a shrimp, damsel scuds? What What are you tying on? What like what's a go-to pattern for you in in the interior? I would say, go. I mean, of course, depends on kind of the time of year and lots of uh, of other factors. But I would say, like my go-to fly, if I show up to a lake that I've never fished before or don't really know what's hatching or like any time of year, um, my go-to fly is like a balanced leech, uh, specifically the Bruce leech, like a black and blue leech. Oh, that's um, I kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, black and blue. I kind of add my own spin to it. Um, spilling the beans on one of my special patterns, but, uh, you know, I like to mix and match some, uh, some of like the colors of, of dubbing as well too. And I find like my, probably my top producing leech is actually a mixture of the black, blue and black and purple, 
uh, Arizona semi seal. Um, and it just kind of adds a little bit of a uh, little bit of shine sticks out in some of those, like the, the darker waters. That's, that's a nice bit of contrast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I usually, I cheat a little bit. Like I tie them on a jig bead. I don't use a pin or anything like that. I just have like a mm-hmm. heavier, um, yeah, like a heavier jig bead and, uh, and usually fish it under an indicator. And, and um, yeah, I would say that's, that's kind of my go-to if I don't know what to fish. Uh, then that's what I tie on. But yeah, and then, you know, crown mid-season when there's not really any guessing and right. whatever, I would say um, my, probably my go-to chronomid pattern is um, kind of like uh, a gun metal. So I use uh, like window tint or something like that, right? Like kind of mm-hmm. like that bronze and tungsten, um, <laughs> usually with like a brown holographic or a wine holographic rib. Those would be my, uh, probably my top producing chronomids that I use. And then, um, and yeah, that, uh, that leech as well. You're hitting a few stops there, my friend. <laughs> I'll tell you that black and blue is uh it's a staple around this place. And it's I like to do it with a little bit of flash, a little blue flash out the back, and then that dubbing with it's kinda got a little bit of red, blue, and black in it, and it's just like I swear, I don't know what it is about that color, but it works like crazy, especially before the chronomids really get going, you know. Yeah, for sure. Before and after sometimes too, like I find um on a day where you've had a really good hatch or even some days like where the hatches are sporadic, like we don't really get going until like nine or 10, even 11. Sometimes there are days where it's like an afternoon hatch or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Like I'll, I'll usually fish the leads in between hatches or I'll fish kind of like one and one, um, even early season when the bugs are kind of like just starting, starting to get going. Um, I'll kind of tie one of each on and, um, you know, kind of see what's going first, but yeah, definitely there's something like leeches are just, trout candy like it seems like uh, there's lots of different colors and stuff you can tie them in but yeah if you don't know what to fish fish a leech and and you're gonna uh you're gonna catch something eventually well and it's suggestive too right like depending on the time of year it could be a dragon it could be a damsel depending on the color right and the shot and the size of it i just uh, yeah it's i think a lot of us go okay are they on leeches but sometimes they're not taking that as a leech if that makes sense or a case caddis it could be even right Mm mm-hmm yeah, for sure. It's just something that has like that that profile. It looks like food, right? It, and it could be in any different color or anything like that. But uh, it it looks like food. Like I I don't often pump leeches. Like I do sometimes, and I think mm-hmm. some of them are like not even are too big to fit in a throw pump, right? And you definitely do in some like I've, I've throat sampled quite a few leeches, but I would say like a lot of times you don't really fish them. It's not like when you go and you throat sample a fish and you see a a whole aisle full of cronies and you're like, okay, yeah, it's, it's go time. I know what size and I know what color it's, it's not really like that. Right. Like you, I don't really fish a leech because it's like, Oh, like this, this is like, you know, this is prime time leech season or whatever. Right. It's just one of those things where it's, yeah, it, it looks fishy. It looks like food and, uh, and the trout eat them. Yeah. Love it. Where, where do you go, Jason, to get your fix on fly fishing? Like say this time of year, like, is it a shop? Is it social media? Is it work? Like where, where do you get your fix when you're not out there fly fishing? I think it's a, a little bit of all of those. Um, definitely, uh, like definitely the shop is, is an awesome uh, resource too, right? Like, like we were saying, like going to Kelowna and just went last weekend. Like I love chatting with, uh, with any of the people who work at Trout Waters. They're all very knowledgeable and you can just go on there and talk forever about, uh, about fishing. So that's definitely one. And I'll pop into to casting loops and camels here every once in a while and, can chat fishing there um definitely as well too around work like 
working uh, for fisheries and um, I kind of do a, a combination of like warehouse and, and office work over the winter time. And uh, a lot of the people who I work with are all avid fishermen as well too. Most of them, in fact, right. And we'll, we'll go fishing together outside of work as well too. So we definitely uh, talk quite a bit of fishing as well um, at uh, work. And, um, and yeah, of course, social media too. I'm, I'm uh, no, I'm kind of uh, a little more silent when it comes to social media. I'm not much of a poster, more of a of a reader and, and uh, <laughs> kind of check out uh, that way. But yeah, I definitely I do a lot of scrolling on on like the Stillwater's Facebook page and through Instagram. I think probably over half the people I follow on Instagram are all uh, are all fisher people. So yeah. just uh, that kind of stuff as well too. But uh, so yeah, kind of a combination of, of those three things is is where I get my uh, my fishing fix for, throughout the winter months. So when it comes to sports, now, obviously you grew up, um, in Ontario. So, um, now out this way, are you a big sports guy first off? And if you are, who are you pulling for? Who's your team? Yeah. Uh, I've always been a hockey fan, uh, big, um, uh, big hockey fan since uh, like my dad, grandpa, uncles, everyone, we're all, uh, diehard Leafs fans. So, that's kind of stuck with me and uh, my travels out West here. So yeah, big Toronto Maple Leafs fan um, watch, you know, the games when I can, but follow the NHL pretty closely, like even outside of the Leafs and, and teams in general and stats and standings and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, hockey, I would say is my big, big sport. Um, yeah. Definitely started following the Canucks as well too, since I've been out here, even on Ontario, um, it kind of has, worked out that the the years that the Leafs were not doing so hot were the years that the Canucks were doing well, right? Like through the, the yeah. Sedin era and all that kind of stuff. I was, uh, I always watched the Canucks in Ontario as well too. And then uh, now, of course, when I've moved out West, uh, the Canucks aren't doing so hot and the Leafs have been doing pretty good. So seems, uh, seems like you yeah. got a good, you know, balance kind of thing going on there. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, they seem to alternate uh, on, uh, on, on, uh, on uh, the right schedule at least anyways so so yeah but uh yeah i would say hockey is my sport um yeah. as far as like spectator sports and all that kind of stuff um you yeah, do pools? Would be, uh, Are you a hockey pool guy no i've done them a little bit i'm not in one uh currently but yeah i've uh, been in like in the occasional fantasy league and all that kind of stuff or like you know yeah. do like a, a playoff bracket or whatever sometimes but uh not like huge huge into the the fantasy sports but um yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely like to keep up with uh, kind of like the stats and standings and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but never got super into the fantasy stuff. So I gotta ask you, man. So w- between both your jobs, let's say, and you know your education, I mean, it's all things fish related, fishing. Why? What do you get out of this? And I know it's a really big question, but why do why do you think you chose this kind of path? What does it bring into jason bell's world if that makes sense (laughs) that is a a really good question and one that i've kind of been searching for the answer for probably for my whole life to be honest right like it's one of those things where it's it's like i i that's a a, the million dollar question is like what fishing does for me other than just bring like a whole ton of happiness to my life like I, i don't really know what specifically it is about fish that I've become so obsessed with and uh, <laughs> kind of surround my whole life around. Um, but it's just kind of something uh, about fish themselves. And of course, like, and I don't know, there's, there's a quote out there somewhere about it's not, it's not really about like catching fish. It's about 
like the places that fishing brings you. And, and I would say that's like the biggest thing for me is it's, yeah, like catching fish is, is awesome, but that's not why I'm out there doing it. It's, it's all like just spending time in the outdoors. It's like, it's like meditation in some way, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. just, it's so relaxing to be out there and and it's just my element, right? Like sometimes you're, you know, you're freezing and it's the middle of winter and you can't even feel your fingers and toes anymore. And sometimes it's, middle of summer and you're just out there sitting on a lake and it's a beautiful day and and i like all of it right like it's Mm -hmm. kind of the uh yeah like i get it some days are uh some days are better than others with like weather wise and whatever but it's 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 all fun and it's uh yeah it just definitely brings uh a lot of happiness and um yeah it does does a lot for me it's therapeutic in some way right so i always think too that you know, it's another world, right? I mean, it, what's going on below, like, subsurface, we, we spend our whole lives trying to understand it, which is pretty hard when, you know, for for beings that can't breathe in water, you know what I mean? So it's like everything's foreign, right? And it's like there's so much to know. Just when you think you kind of start understanding it, you learn something different. But, um, yeah, I, I get that. I, that And that's kind of most people's answer is it kind of brings a calm. You know, you, you get away from the cell phone, you, you kind of stop thinking about, your problems and start focusing on how to catch a fish. It, uh, it does change things for sure. That was well put. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's like you, you stop looking at the, stop looking at the time and whatever, right? Like you, it's just, it's one of those things where like, it always amazes me how fast like an eight or a 10 hour day or whatever goes by on the water, right? Like you, you look at your phone and then, yeah. and then like you check the time or whatever. And all of a sudden you look again and it's been like four hours and you're like, man, like, I don't <laughs> know where, where any of that time just went. Like it's just yeah. kind of, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Like what, uh, what that does and, and what fishing does and how it just kind of like, kind of makes time stand still a little bit and, and goes by fast at the same time, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Love it. So I, I love talking jobs on this and this is probably a hard one for you, but I assume you're doing it best gig so far. Um, I mean, being fisheries technician with DFO and also a guide is probably hard to pick one for you. Yeah, well, for sure. And that's the nice thing is, uh, is I get to do both uh, throughout the year. And I would say that, yeah, like, for sure, uh, the job that I'm doing now is, um, is definitely my favorite, like that, that combination of being able to, uh, to work as a fisheries technician uh, throughout most of the year. And and it works out perfectly that, um, that like my off time with fisheries work uh, is typically the spring, um, because the majority of salmon, run throughout like the late summer and and uh and fall so um that inevitable downtime happens in the spring where we're mostly doing like preseason work and planning and all that kind of stuff um so that gives me some freedom to to take time off in april may june and uh usually start working with fisheries again sometime in july so it literally it works out perfectly like with the the slow time for fisheries is uh is go time for for uh for still water fishing so it's um it's awesome that way and um, yeah, definitely honorable mention to, to trout waters as well too, for sure. Like it's, uh, working there, I spent almost three years working at the shop there and, um, yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun and definitely like a huge difference between like the retail side of things and what I'm doing now. But as far as like the knowledge that I gained working in, in that shop, like talking with uh, the staff that worked there, um, again, like, you know, mm-hmm. chatting with but like Bob and, and Nick and Savas, like learning a lot from them. And also like you, you get a free education every day just from your customers, right? They're, there's yeah. kind of 
like a little bit of both where you're you are educating someone uh being a staff member there but you get educated too like there's a lot of very very knowledgeable people that come into that store to shop and just you get chatting with them and um yeah like i I definitely wouldn't have the knowledge that i do now that made me a successful fishing guide and and make me a successful angler without that time working at uh, waters there so definitely a, a huge appreciation for my my time spent working there but uh, as far as the fun side of things go and all that kind of stuff yeah i would, I would say um you know that uh that combination of doing fisheries work with uh with guiding as well too is um mm-hmm. has been a, a dream come true for me and, and kind of something i've been uh, been working towards for my whole life and, and found it now so love it have you done anything you're willing to talk about that you didn't like or you went man i i don't know how i did that for every day like is there any gigs you had that you wouldn't want to do again uh yeah for like my first couple jobs um like anything i like my first job ever uh i worked as a cook like in a restaurant um and i would never want to do that again <laughs> um yeah, definitely uh, not uh, like I, I like to cook in, at home and everything like that, but just like doing it in the restaurant industry, like really fast paced environment and just like lots of, you know, can be like good and bad. But yeah, definitely. It's, you know, like it's not anything like you see on Hell's Kitchen or whatever, but sometimes it is. Sometimes there's yelling and screaming and whatever. And yeah, I wasn't really a, a huge fan of that. And then uh, same thing, I think the two years after I worked as a cook, I, I worked as a, as a painter, like as a, yeah. uh, like residential and commercial painter. And um, it wasn't really that I didn't like the work of painting itself. Cause I, I actually didn't mind it that much. Um, and it, it kind of like makes the day go by fast. You kind of just like zone out a little bit and yeah, yeah and can, can kind of do that kind of stuff, but just more of like the, the atmosphere around like working on those, like on construction sites or some of the, the people I worked with, it just wasn't really a, a great environment overall. So I would say mm-hmm. those, those two were kind of um, the ones that I wasn't super stoked about. But other than that, I've uh, had the chance to do some, uh, some pretty cool work through like co-op. Uh, when I was in school, I did, did some pretty cool co-op jobs. I, um, worked uh did like some uh environmental re- restoration stuff up in um in the oil sands in fort mcmurray mm-hmm. uh which was uh pretty cool to do for a summer and again like i would never live in fort mac full time but um but yeah to go up there for a summer and experience that kind of stuff was pretty cool and um mm-hmm. yeah just things like that and then now really within the last five years or so uh really kind of dialed into um surrounding my life and career with with fish i wasn't really super sure at, at first what it would look like and kind of thought it was going to be more with like the guiding and, and that kind of thing. And maybe potentially having my own guiding business one day and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I have now transitioned to doing mostly fisheries work and, and guiding on the side and um, have, I've been loving every minute of it. We've got Jason Bell on the line tonight out of Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada, uh, fisheries technician with DFO. Uh, he's also a guide at Interior Fly Fishing Company in the heart of uh, British Columbia um, and also has a background in geography, environmental management. And I, I know entomology is also a huge part of what you're doing. If, if you had to maybe, you know, say somebody came into the shop back in the day and said, Jason, how do I how do I get better with entomology with my how 
how have you done it? Like, is it through school or is it, is it just kind of time in at home, uh, doing research? Like how, how do you kind of up your entomology game? I'm curious. Yeah. So school is actually a big one for me. And that's, that's kind of how I, I started in like learning all that kind of stuff. Um, I took a few courses, uh, when I was at U, U Waterloo that were specific to, um, like aquatic ecology. And we did a few, like I, I wrote a few research papers on, um, on like, like studying invertebrates. Like we would go out to uh, some of the streams in Ontario and we would take samples of invertebrates. And, um, I actually even volunteered, um, for, through like a, a couple master's students that were working there. And I, like that was kind of my first like fascination um, with the entomology kind of things was like I, I would just volunteer and I'd go into a lab and um, like literally just sit there and look at different invertebrates through a microscope. And I just I got like really curious about it and um, and learned a lot about the life of invertebrates and like all the different ones. Right. Like, you you know, your main ones, like your mayflies and your chronomids and mm-hmm and your dragonflies and all that kind of stuff. And, and just kind of learned a bit, learned about it more from like a scientific perspective and then being able to transition from that knowledge that I gained in school to then like going and working um, at trout waters and then fishing, of course, right? Like that's being able to like make that full circle and, and be able to know like the kind of like more of like the research and scientific perspective. And then, seeing how that translates into lakes in BC and then how that translates into trout food and learning how to, how to properly imitate that trout food with uh, like your, your presentations and and your patterns, of course. Right. And then like tying those flies and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely been, been a really cool evolution to go from, from, yeah, like sitting in a lab looking at these things under a microscope to sitting at my desk and and tying one (laughs) and then, being able to say, okay, like, yeah, now, like, and yeah, having all that kind of come full circle has been, been pretty cool. When, when you're sitting there, you're tying, I'm always curious about the creative process and I'm sure we're not all the same when, when it comes to this, but when, when you want to tie up a, say a gonfus or whatever you happen to be tying up, do you sit there and look at other patterns and go, okay, I'm going to put my spin on it. Do you look at the actual insect and go, no, I could do better. This is, this is what this should look like. Like what, what's your creative process at the, at the vice? I think it's kind of, um, a mixture, but yeah, like I would say predominantly it's going to be more like looking at patterns, uh, from other tires and getting inspired. Um, and especially in like, yeah, like people, like I, I learned a lot of different patterns through working at trout waters, like through people who would come in, and just say like, Hey, like, or, or they would give me inspiration and ideas from like some of the stuff that they're tying or, um, or they would even come in and I, I had it like multiple times where people would come in and say like, Hey, like I, I have this pattern. Like, and they would like hand me one and say like, this thing catches so many fish. Like you have anything in here that looks like it or, or whatever. Right. Like, and I, I would just kind of, be inspired by, by other people and other tires. And, um, and then, yeah, like kind of put my own creative process, uh, onto it. And and like, I mean, yeah, like you have kind of your, your classics, um, Mm -hmm. that like I've, I've imitated other people's patterns, right? Like, you know, of course, like, um, yeah, like Brian Chan and Phil Rowley and, and a lot of those people, um, who have been tying for a really long time and, and have, 
like kind of their staple patterns that people are reproducing. Um, of course, like, like Trevor Tatarchuk and yeah. Stanton Jack and a lot of those guys as well, too, who you've spoken with, like the amazing tires and just like people who, um, you know, I can go in and scroll through Instagram or on Stillwaters or whatever and, and see things that they're making and um, either replicate it or, or put my own spin on it. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, a lot of times I don't even really know, like, beforehand, like sometimes I'll sit down and be like, okay, like, yeah, I, I have this pattern. I know it works really well and I'm going to spin up a dozen of them and whatever. Right. But some days I, I sit there and I just look at my materials, especially with chronomists and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know, what? yeah, let's try it. See, yeah. see how it looks. And then often I'll, I'll do that. Like quite often actually, where I'll just like tie something in a combination that I've never seen before, never fished before and just throw it together. And I was like, yeah, that, that might fish well. And I'll usually just tie one or two of them and I'll throw it in a separate row in my box as like a trial row. And mm-hmm. one day I'll, I'll fish it. And that's how honestly, like a few rows in my box that are, are filled with these patterns are that's, that's how I, I, uh, I kind of yeah. like figured out and started realizing that they were patterns I wanted to fish often is yeah, I would just set the vice and have a look at, uh, at my materials that were sitting on my desk. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't know, I'll throw these together and, and see what happens. But, uh, but yeah, so kind of a, a combination of, uh, being influenced by others and, and just, you know, some nights feeling a little creative and spinning something up and, and see if it works. <laughs> I love it. A lot of times I find as Stillwater kind of, let's say specialists, or, or basically if you're on the still a lot, we get focused on the chronomids and the leeches and the dragons, but is there a patterns in your mind, Jason, that kind of save the day unexpectedly, unexpectedly, like maybe something you go to, like I was thinking the other day about black ants once in a while, it's like, you have to have a good carpenter ant or black ant pattern, or whether it's a boatman or there's some patterns that aren't always front of mind, but man, they can sure slay on certain days. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say probably the one pattern that is, it saved my day and like where it's like you kind of run out of options and I mean it's it's not always that fly for me but um I would say it's it's got to be the pumpkin head <laughs> yeah I love it yeah, it's that's... one of those flies that just like it looks like anything like you fish them really small like they could be mayflies they could be damsels they could be leeches yeah. like you fish them in a bigger size it could be like a fry pattern or mm-hmm. or anything like I honestly think like you could take a pumpkin head and tie it from like a size 14 down to like a size three, like a massive one. And you could probably fish that in the ocean and, and, yeah. and catch fish with it. And like you could, yeah. And, and I fished it in rivers. I fished it in lakes. I, I yeah, fished it in a lot of different, um, different environments. And it's one of those flies where it's like, yeah, if, if the, like what you normally tie on isn't working or yeah, like you try to leech or cronmit or anything. And I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a leech variation in some way, but, mm. uh, yeah, I would say it's one of those those patterns where it's um, it, it's really versatile. You can fish it in a lot of settings and, it's like and a, put your own spin on it too, right? But like yeah. a woolly bugger on steroids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you know, I was at a lake. Uh, well, this happens quite often because I fish a few lakes that have a lot of perch, and then they, uh, you know, the ministry puts in like some of those, uh, um, you know, more fish eating trout. Let's put it that way, and. I've had it work really well as a perch pattern, actually, and I'm pretty sure that's what they're taking at, is in bigger sizes, just on an indie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's yeah, uh, could be what a dragon, could be damsel, could be a leech, could be a lot of things for sure. Yeah, that's a that's a staple in in my box for sure. And then I look at things like yeah. you know Todd Oshie's, um 
Vampire Leech, which is kind of, you know, the colors are totally different, but it's a variation on a theme, a lot of these things, right? Yeah, for sure. And actually one, like kind of my own version of the pumpkin head in some way, well, it's not really my own, but like one that I tie a lot of them instead of going uh, like in the classic route with like the hackle and all that kind of stuff is it's basically, it's the vampire leech, but in that form, like I think, and Brian has like a similar ones. I think he calls them like damsel leech things or something <laughs> like that. Right. Like, yeah. like those different, like that vampire leech spinoff. Like I, I have that in my box in so many different colors where it's just like, yeah, a little bit of a marabou tail and, um, yeah. and like, uh, like it's a, you know, micro polar chenille or, um, straggle string or whatever whatever brand makes it right it's all the same stuff it's like a very small sparkly chenille and uh yeah i pierced that into it in olive with like uh yeah olive with with the orange bead kind of like as the pumpkin head let's yeah. i fish that a lot i fish it in uh like with a gold bead too more of like as a small damsel pattern fish like yeah the classic vampire leech with uh the black black tail uh black chenille and uh and the chartreuse bead or an orange bead even or, mm-hmm. or anything like I'll, I'll tie that same style um in ginger as well too or kind of like an off off brown color um yeah it's just like a really really versatile pattern that kind of looks looks like a little bit of everything like we just said right like could yeah. be could be a leech could be a damsel could be a may like it's it's uh just one of those really good uh, more yeah like a tractor and and kind of one fly fish is all <laughs> kind of pattern right I got a buddy that kicks my ass all the time on a, uh, it's basically a, um, kind of what you're describing. It looks like a small woolly bugger, but more like a pumpkin head with a fluorescent orange bead, but it's got a real iridescent, um, olive body. And, uh, especially when the light gets low, that thing just slays. I don't even know what he calls it, Mm -hmm. but yeah, It's, it's too many options. That's the problem. I get going at the vice lately and I just don't know. Sometimes I don't know when to start, and then I go down these rabbit holes, and it's like, man, that wasn't very productive. I tied thirteen flies, but they're all different. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm bad. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, but that's how you stumble upon some of your greatest creations sometimes, too, right? Like that that one fly where you're like, man, I don't know what I was doing, but but here it is, and the yeah. fisher one day. It's like, yeah, that's how I stumble a few of uh, on a few of my staples too, right? So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it's not a bad thing to get into those moves every once in a while too, right? Have you ever had it so you're like, this thing slayed, but I don't remember what the heck that was, or I don't remember what material I used. I, I Sometimes I'll do that, I'm like, or like, especially when you're doing small chronomids, it's like, what color is that rib? What What is that? You know? Yeah, for sure. And it's it's frustrating sometimes, right? Because, yeah, it's like one of those things where, like, yeah, I throw, literally, I'll tie it, and I throw one of them in my box, or maybe two. And then, you know, you look at it afterwards, and you're like, man, like, yeah, what did I use to tie that thing? Like, yeah. like you can kind of guess or whatever, but you never know what the, the perfect recipe is, and you're, yeah. you're chasing it. Or, or you tie one, and you break it off, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. That may have been a blue done underbody. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've sure. been there. That's why it's important to take pictures of your fly box. I think is, uh, man, that helps a lot. Just kind of having a record of it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think like my first fly boxes were kind of like that—that that big mix of like a whole bunch where I would really only have like two of one color or anything like that. Like 
my first crony box, I think I still have, like, I, I put a lot of those chronomids in just like a bag and like, I have like a, a Ziploc bag full of chronomids <laughs> that probably fish really well. But I just yeah. am like, now at this point in my tying and my fishing, I'm like, I, I, it's more just for me, right. Where I look at them and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to tie that on. Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean that it won't catch fish, but like, yeah, definitely some of the earlier ones that are, yeah, a little, little lopsided, maybe, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, not perfect, not super great or, or the colors or whatever, but yeah, like, yeah. So I, yeah, a lot of those, especially in the beginning of like, yeah, like, um, you know, just having a couple of those and, and now, you know, I, I try and be a little bit more organized and, and have like, have really figured out maybe those, those dozen or 15 patterns or whatever that I have, and, you know, I, I kind of more mass produce them and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, you know, like in my box, I guess, like I, I have like, usually my, my standard is I'll take like, um, take the, the color combination that I want. And I usually like to do like four 18s, six 16s and four 14s. And then that's kind of like how I, I set my rows up. And then it's, cause you know, 16s I find like are the size that uh, more often I'm not, uh, that I'm fishing and, and you don't really, uh, like you can never really go wrong with the 16, especially early season or anything you, like you that. Are so true. So true. I tie 14s all the time and I always wish they were 16s. I just don't like yeah. tying them because they're smaller, right? It's like sometimes yeah. they're like a little well, bit of meat. You go to the 18s. Oh, yeah, and then you're uh, like, oh, you got to, yeah, yeah, for sure. And and the crazy thing is like the amount of times where I go to a lake and I pump them and I'm like, man, like and I, I tie on an 18 and I'm like, this chronomet that I'm pumping is half the size of my 18. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, hey, like yeah. there's no way I'm tying that thing. The 18's got to do. Oh, that is, man, you, you're, you're, I, I can't. I can't agree more. I, it's like those yeah. little uh, chartreuse limeys, or I don't know the name, but they're a tiny, tiny, bright green chronomid. They're tiny sometimes. Like, you want to be down, like, in the 20s, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, you want it to sink, so you need the weight. The smaller you go, the harder it is to get it down sometimes. But are are you an indicator guy? Are you um, a lot of, uh, you know, dangling or dry line? How do you fish chronomids for the most part? Uh, yeah, I would say like for chronomids, predominantly indicator. Uh, but again, it, it just kind of like depends on, on the lake that I'm, uh, I'm fishing in. Like I'll, I'll fish an indicator up to like 25 feet. Even 25 is like long. Like mm-hmm. if I'm in that kind of range, like if I'm fishing like, yeah, that like 24, 25 feet and deeper, I will fish a sink line and, and do the dangle. It's, it's become one of my favorite ways of chronomid fishing honestly because the takes are insane <laughs> like it's so much fun like I, I didn't really dial into that um so much until like the, probably three yeah three years ago or so like my first two years I fished chronomids I, I don't think I ever tried it on a sink line and I was just mm-hmm. like indicator everything um and uh yeah still a very effective way right because you can perfectly suspend your fly that like Yep. 12 to 14 inches off bottom um and you know you're you're in the depth zone right like i always like to do the forceps trick even when i i know i'm i'm uh like you know i've got my finder and all electronics and all that kind of stuff i, I still always like do the forceps to make sure i'm dialed foot off bottom yep. with that indicator and it makes a um, difference yeah it's like yeah for sure hmm. um, so when yeah you... so that's uh sorry sorry go ahead no, i was gonna say when when you're uh, out there what kind of crafts are you guys fishing out of like with interior fly fish company do you have your own boat or is it kind of a sponsored deal what are you what are you fishing out of 
Yeah, I've got uh, I've got my own boat. It's uh, a uh, fish out of a low sixteen fifty roughneck. So it's got the um, like a full open concept, like no bench in the middle. So I, I've got mm. two swivel seats on it that rotate three sixty degrees. Um, it's an awesome boat. Like uh, I. I, I love it. Like this has been uh, my first full season with it last year. It's actually funny. I, I, this used to be Brett's boat, uh, like the, okay. so Casey and, uh, and Brett co-own interior fly fishing. Um, Brett had this boat for a little bit and, uh, and had his eye on a, on a T3 and he basically, uh, asked uh, if I wanted to, to take the boat off his hand. So in like in last season and stuff, when, um, I wasn't guiding as often before I, I got called out, uh, for, for doing fisheries work, um, Brett, let just let me board the boat and I fished out of it and fell in love with it. And then this year, uh, this spring, when he asked me if I wanted to take it off his hands, I, uh, I couldn't say yes fast enough. So, um, so that's, yeah. that's so, on a trailer, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. On a trailer. Um, I've got a 25 horse Yamaha on it. Um, it's plenty for that boat, like for myself, especially like myself and two clients or, or even myself or one other person, like I, I can do, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20 miles an hour with it, um, depending on, uh, yeah, like obviously how many people and, and weight and all that kind of stuff, but it's as fast as I need to go for any of the lakes that I fish in and, um, definitely super, super stable. Um, yeah. And, and my biggest feature that I, I like with that boat is, uh, is that yeah open concept with mm-hmm. being able to swivel your seats 360 degrees is, is great. Like when I'm solo, I can fish off the back uh, and then kind of have both my rods out to, to the side, like kind of one on each end, right? Like one on the left, one on the right, uh, having two clients in the boat is awesome because the two swivel seats there, they've got the rod holder right in front of them. And, uh, and then I usually just sit on the back. Uh, I've got like, uh, my go box, like a Yeti go box with a, a little seat, like <laughs> just a little cushion that I put on. And I mean, uh, on the good days, most of the time I don't even get the chance to sit down, right? I'm running around and net and fish and whatever. So I, I kind of just sit on the back there and, uh, and then my boat too has a nice, nice platform on, on the bow as well too, that, uh, that you can stand up and, nice. and cast on as well. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, it's been, a, an awesome fishing craft to have. And then for the most part, like all of us, whether, you know, not really brand specific, but, uh, as far as like our boats between mine and Brett's and Casey's and all that kind of stuff, that's kind of pretty standard for us is running like a 16 or 17 foot, uh, yeah, flat bottom, you know, some are slightly modified with a bit of a V haul, but, uh, mm-hmm. kind of those brands like the lows and the, the G threes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the 16 foot is, is, uh, is a great size for, uh, for myself and, uh, two guests in the boat. Yeah. That'd be, I could see why that'd be very comfortable. And you're double anchored with pyramids or what are you using for anchors? Yeah. Yeah, I've got, uh, I run two 25-pound pyramids. Um, I, you can get away, like, uh, I've been, you know, sometimes, like, you can do, like, a 25 on the bow and, and a 20 on the back, but it's it's just, like, the 25s really stick in, um, like, they're, you know, if you're pulling them up often, then it's a bit of a workout, but uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, it's it's good. Um, yeah, and I've got, uh, it's actually a, a custom-made uh, anchor mount for them, very similar to, like, the Scotty style, but um, the, the Scotty ones, like the plastics, they're, they're really, really good, but those mounts, just when you're running, like, 25-pound weights, um, mm-hmm. they can start to wiggle loose and stuff over time, so yeah. um, I, I honestly don't know where Brett got them from, but I know that they were custom-made with the with aluminum. They slide in, and they've got, like, a, a pin that you put into them, and it uh, it supports that, that bit of extra weight uh, for, for the the double anchors and, and mm. uh, the 25 pounders there. So, so yeah, that's kind of my, my setup. 
What about what about electronics? What's your go-to uh, fish finder right now? Uh, I run a Hummingbird Helix Seven. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, got, I got the so five, but that's yeah, that's a that's a pretty high-end fish finder. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's honestly the one that I have is um, it's just like the basic version of the Helix Seven. Like it's it's just like the fish finder. It has like the 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 down imaging, which is kind of mm-hmm. um, similar to like your traditional fish finder view. It just, it looks a little different. It's not like the live imaging or whatever, right? But it still has that. But it, um, even on my fish finder, I don't have a GPS or anything like that. It's one thing though, that I, I really want to get um, because mm-hmm. uh, like Brett and Casey and most people I know, like they, they run those with the GPS and, and I was actually, I was boring uh, Brett's fish finder for the first couple of weeks. I had, uh, I was using the boat and with the GPS and, and it's huge like that having the depth maps on uh, like right in your fish finder is awesome. Like there's still resources. Like I have uh, like there's apps through your phone mm-hmm. uh, that I use that some links are on there. And uh, even like the here in BC, the freshwater fisheries society has uh, a lot of the lakes. Like you can just go online and find a depth yeah. chart of the lake. So I, I know like the general area that to go to, right. I'll look at the map beforehand and be like, okay, yeah, like this bay looks fishy or whatever. And I'll, you know, I can put over there and, and just kind of, uh, scope it out uh, with my fish finder but i would say um yeah that's definitely one thing that i would kind of want to improve on in the future is maybe with my next model to uh, like i'd love the helix 7 it's been a great unit but i, I would mm-hmm. say i would uh, like to upgrade and get one that has the, the mapping capabilities uh, built in and then you can have your depth maps and set your waypoints and, and all that kind of stuff too so i could see that being really beneficial too uh, for any large bodies of water because i know you guys are also fishing some bigger lakes that would be uh pretty useful i would think yeah no definitely hmm. i've got one app it's called i think it's called navy navionics or something and it's pretty good but uh probably not as detailed as what you're talking i can't imagine seeing it on the fish finder that would help for sure hmm. yeah for sure the navionics app is pretty good I, they make a lot of the chips for like the uh for those fish finders that you actually like put into your memory card slot and avionics does. And it's pretty good, but a lot of the small lakes and especially like the still water, like the ones in the interior on that are on the smaller end. Um, yeah. Don't have the maps, right. And like, you'll, your chip won't have them. And yeah. um, like the higher end versions of like the Helix seven. And I know a lot of the other brands like Garmin and that's where I all get those have the capability too of, uh, of like charting the lake as you drive around, which is a pretty cool feature as well. I used to get those on a napkin from Tim Hortons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, here's, yeah. Here's the island. You want to be? <laughs> yeah. I used to do sure. that all the time. It's amazing when you know a lake, how good you can get at that, right? Especially if you've never been there before and someone's trying to explain you where to fish or where the shoals are. But hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you're, you're like, okay, what? Like, okay, tell me where there's like a log that sticks out or whatever. You're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, trying to find it when you get there. But yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Well, doesn't it, like, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, unlike, I'm sure rivers have some similarities, but with still water, sometimes you can be out five feet and you might as well not be fishing. And I don't know what it is. There's just like one spot. I see it with chronomids all the time. It's like if you cast in this little, you know, it's like a target area. And I, don't, I, I, I always boggles my mind how specific sometimes it can be. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And it, it can be weird like that, right? Where, yeah, like you're, you're anchored in and you're fishing one side of the boat and it's very similar depth. Like you, you could be on like, yeah, on a shoal, it's flat. It's not really, it's not like you're fishing some like 
specific piece of structure. You're just mostly, you're just kind of targeting fish that are feeding. So I guess sometimes it's like your, your indicator floats in a, in a five foot box and it goes down every time and you can cast anywhere around the boat, but it's like, it seems like that one spot, you just get into a, a bit of a zone, right? Like it's, yep. uh, it's interesting. I don't, I don't definitely don't get it, but, uh, maybe it, 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 it happens. Maybe it's where the bugs are coming from too, right? On the bottom or a little, uh, a lot of times you'll find, I find like there'll be a little hump, like just a little weed hump, something that you may or may not see, but yeah. Hmm. So w- tell me when the season for interior fly fishing company gets going. So, um, you know, when you're guiding, you're mostly in like kind of, was it April to June you're saying? Yeah, um, like through interior, we guide year round. Uh, like myself personally, usually around July, like mid to end of July is when I get the call to go back to work for fisheries again. Um, but yeah, like kind of like the, that prime time bread and butter season is going to be spring, right? Like May and June, for sure. Those I would say like are the best two months for stillwater fishing in the year. Like the fall has its its moments to shine too but i would say like as far as numbers go um and getting like you know you know you're going to go out there and get a, a prime chronom attach may and june would be be the best two months to uh to look at at going fishing um april you can't start to like uh, every year is different right like i think last year i i fished an open body of water um like in in mid-march and i like there was still ice on, on the other part of the lake but i was able to get my boat in there and it was fine. And every year is different, right? Some years we're fishing in the end of February, early March. Um, some years you're they're not icing off until mid to end of April, and then you're kind of battling with with turnover as well, too, right? Like yeah. um, some lakes will will take a little bit of time to turn. Others they're basically turning as soon as the ice comes off, right? So it it, it really depends. But uh, yeah, I think last year the first trip I did was like April 28th or something like that. Um, and then that'll move on, um, yeah, all the way until, um, in, into July and stuff when I go to work for fisheries. But, uh, yeah, like inevitably in, in the summer months, like in that heat of the summer, like August, not usually an overly productive month for still water fishing, just when the water temps are high. But, uh, mm-hmm. once you kind of get into to September and, and all that kind of stuff, once the water temperatures start to drop, the, the lake fishing can get quite productive again. Do you, do you find yourself chasing, I always call it chasing hatches or chasing temps. Like, you know, we start in the valley bottom with the bigger lakes, obviously, cause they're ice free first, but then it's like, okay, this is the temperature. These hatches are happening. And then you can almost chase those up in elevation. Yeah. hundred percent. That's like, uh, as far as guiding goes, that's exactly the course that my season takes like early season, end of April, early May, I'm fishing low elevation lakes at valley bottom. Um, and then, yeah, like there's kind of that prime temperature window, right? Like where it seems like mm-hmm. anywhere between like 55 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit is, it seems like a really, really good temperature target for chronomates. They can't hatch like colder than that. I've seen chronomates hatching it like in the, in the forties, like in 45 to mm-hmm. 50, sometimes you can get into good hatches, but I find, yeah, that, that like 55 to 65 is a water temperature that I'm, I'm chasing quite a bit and uh and can move up in elevation to find that you're preaching to the choir (laughs) i love it yeah i'm getting a little itchy to go fishing i'm not gonna lie but i still know it's a ways off um yeah you want to paint us a picture jason like what's your perfect day look like so um you know who are you hanging out with are you are you guiding somebody what type of water you fishing what kind of patterns you throwing 
um, something cold to drink maybe at the end of the day. What, what does that look like in your mind? Hmm, I would say, I mean, there's kind of definitely a tough question because there's, there's a lot of, a lot of perfect days, right? I mean, uh, yeah, as far as like in, uh, in the spring, I would say, yeah, at lake fishing, like I'm going out with any of my buddies. Like I, I've got a, a, you know, a good friend group. Honestly, I would say like pretty much all my friends that I've made since I've moved to BC, I've, I've made like through, through working uh, at trout waters and through guiding and all that kind of stuff. So most of my friends are, are all pretty fishy. Um, we, uh, we definitely like to go out together and, and yeah, like, I mean, yeah, I would be, uh, cruising up to, to one of the local lakes around Kamloops, really fortunate to, to live in Kamloops, uh, and have so many different lakes, like trophy still water fisheries, like within an hour drive or, or, or less. Um, so yeah, I would say going up to, uh, to any of these lakes, yeah, early to mid May, you know, that you're going to be getting into some, some really good chronomid fishing, um, you know, anchoring out on uh, on a shoal, even with some buddies, maybe in some other boats surrounded with you, and just having a good time, dialing into to the right depth, right pattern, and um, yeah, you can you can have some good days. There's there's definitely nothing compares like even in Ontario and stuff like you can have some really good fishing in Ontario, but but there's not too many places where you can say like you go and you get dialed into a lake in between you and a buddy like you can sit there and you can get into the triple digits like you can have a a hundred fish day like it's it's pretty spectacular like of course those are are special days but like very possible to go in and say that like yeah i went out with my buddy and and we fished for 10 hours and we put 100 fish in the net like it's it's possible and uh and there's not a lot of places that you can do that uh still water fishing in in that main time when you get real dialed into uh to a cronman hatch like sometimes you like you can't even count to 10 right like you you get in there and, and as soon as your fly hits the bottom you got one on it's it's uh it's something something pretty special for sure those are the days when you are just dead beat at the end of the day you close your eyes and you still kind of feel the boat moving and you see that indie just kind of going down <laughs> like, yeah you know? uh, yeah for sure i yeah, i know so, exactly yeah. like some of the i know you and I fish a lot of the same lakes. Let's face it. I know we do. And I, you and I have never met, but I'm, I'm sure we have probably met at trout waters over the years. But, um, when, when I think about the types of lakes that you guys are fishing as a guiding company, I know the lakes that I'm fishing too, as a, as a weekend guy, um, those hundred fish days you're talking about, they happen a lot. And, and once you get it figured, I know it's not an every time thing, but like you say, when you hit that window, in mid-May, sometimes early June, if you're up high, a hundred fit, like you just don't count. Right. And it's like, it's hard to explain that to somebody, um, that maybe is sitting on the shore with a worm and bobber to say that you could go out there with a fly rod and have nothing else on your rod, but a fish and a fly basically, and, and have, uh, you know, triple digit fish days. That's pretty mind boggling actually. It, it really is. Yeah. And it, it, it even comes down to, uh, yeah, like that specific pattern. I've I've had it often actually, where like there's um you know there's a quite a big like portion of like the fly fishing community as well too that hasn't quite gotten into the cronmit stuff yet, and they like just going out and you know wetting a sink line and, and dragging a leech around or something like that too. And I've you know I've seen that often. Like I've I've literally had it where I've caught guys 
doing circles around my boat, like just trolling a leech. And I'm sitting there with, you know, back to back double headers and, and, and like the fish won't touch them. And yeah, like, of course we talked about leeches have their places and you will pick up the odd fish on it, but it's like, like they just get so dialed in to the chronomids when they're coming off in, in those quantities and everything. It's just like that, that perfect sweet spot where if, if you're not fishing that chronomid foot off bottom in the right spot, like yeah. that can be the difference between yeah having a, a five fish day and a 50 fish day, right? Like, and, and you, you see it often. You just hit on something though, that I think that that person that's trolling by you, we all know that those chronomids are vertical. Like they're going up and up. They're not going sideways for the most part, like, like say a swimming leech or a, so I think, you know, if the fish happen to be taking leeches or whatnot, that, that guy that's trolling might be doing okay. But to imitate that vertical ascent, I think is key with a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's unique, right? Like each, each one of those insects swims a little bit differently and especially the chronomids. Yeah. You're looking at kind of like straight up and down, um, and like damsels and mayflies, like swim more horizontally like obviously mm-hmm. a little bit uh, of an angle going up and and i think that's kind of the, the hard part like if you look at the way a damsel swims in the water yeah. in the water like there's no way that like you can actually replicate <laughs> that like in a fly like those things wiggle like crazy they're like they're going nuts right like and it's pretty amazing uh, like yeah how much their body moves and of course like marabou moves well in the water but yeah it's it's tough and, and yeah you know fish eat them and, and you you catch them on your damsel patterns but uh yeah, definitely. There, uh, it's a pretty unique way that they move in the water, and I think if you're not dialed into kind of yeah, like what those fish are looking for at that given time of year with uh, with the bugs that are, are hatching, like it's also with the profile, like you said as well too. And um, yeah, I, I've started kind of messing around with like uh, fishing the naked technique as well too. That's been a, a fun one to get into in the last couple of years. Um, not, not my go-to, uh, but definitely something, especially when like you, there's days where like the, the fish are glued to bottom or foot off bottom and you can have great days, but there's days where you, you do have to watch your, your sounder and be like, okay, well, like these fish are kind of like in that bottom five feet, like yeah. the, the five feet down to the bottom, like they, they're kind of staggered. And that's usually a good time when, when I, I snip the indie off and I, I'll, I'll just, uh, try you know tie straight to the crony and and um try it without the indicator and, and cover a little bit more of the water column and yeah. you do get that like vertical movement but um but yeah like uh, it's it's a good one to have in uh in the back of your repertoire as well though when i struggle jason is usually when the mayflies are coming off because it's i find mayfly hatches can be so specific and that technique you're just talking about i've had some good luck doing that i have had luck on indicators but you've got to be whether they're taking them as spinners or they're taking them as they're emerging in the surface film or they're taking them on the rise mayflies can be very tough i think yeah no i I agree i would say it's uh it's definitely one of the tougher presentations to fish um uh, and i've kind of experimented with with all them as well too like you said like there's times where um like i'll fish them under an indicator and like i would say probably my go-to way to fish a mayfly is still with an indicator on i cast it out i'll let it soak for two minutes and i just do that slow hand twist retrieve mm-hmm. um and i think that's that's kind of been my more successful way of doing it i've even yeah i've tried like uh kind of more of like a balanced mayfly approach and fish that under an indicator and, and been successful off that and then um also too if they're taking them in the shallows i do like fishing like a, a slow intermediate line and just doing a, a really slow hand twist with that but 
got, it kind of depends on the day. There's some days where, um, where you can catch them. You can just throw a mayfly on and fish it like a chronomid and, and set it in the rod holder and forget it. And, and you'll catch fish that way. But I would say, yeah, for the most part, it's, it's a tougher way to fish and, and you kind of have to dial it in a little bit more and see, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. they want it moving. Sometimes, uh, you're better off without the indicator. And sometimes you need that like really slow sinking line, um, and, and cover the water column. Cause yeah, sometimes when they're on maze, like they can be, you can be fishing in 20 or 25 feet of water, but like the fish are feeding on them everywhere. Sometimes they're off the bottom. Sometimes they're, they're fishing them five feet under the surface, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of a mixed bag. Have, have you had any outstanding caddis days in the last couple of years? No, <laughs> really? Hmm. No, I have not. Honestly, like it, it's one of those things where I, I, I chase it and, and, uh, like I, I've caught fish and I've had like half decent days on caddis, but no, I can't say that I've like, I've gone out and I can say like, I've had like, yeah, like a 40 or 50, 50 fish day mm-hmm. fishing caddis. Like I do, uh, with chronomers oh, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a tougher one. Like there's some lakes, uh, like up in the caribou and, and stuff like that, that are really well-known caddis lakes and that I'll, I'll go fish. And, um, you know, that a lot of times it's more just like you're fishing for the one bite. Like that's one of my favorite things to do. Like it, it doesn't happen very often, but yeah, like late June, early July, go out there and you see caddis flying around and you're camping and, you know, you go out after dinner and fish that hour or two leading oh, up yeah. to sunset and, and tie a, one of the odd times that we get to tie on a dry fly in in our still waters and actually get to uh, to fish it and see those fish come up and smack it and when yeah. they come up for it that's what they do they they smack it it's those takes are oh, yeah. are amazing they're they're pretty cool and um, yeah you know I've done some stuff with like intermediates and stripping caddis through the weeds and whatever but uh, mm. no I, I honestly I can't say I've had like a, a lights out day fishing caddis what about caddis pupa mm-hmm. yeah the same, same thing I would say both okay. like mm. yeah same boat um like whether dry like the you know fishing one surface or fishing the pupa subsurface like again i've had days where i've i've got them and, and gone out there and had half decent days but no none of those crazy numbers days like you do uh get with chronomids and, and even like with leeches time to time and stuff yeah. like that it's just uh one of those things that i haven't really um got super dialed into and, and i think it's it depends on the lake too right like if i was fishing in the caribou like often like there, there's definitely lakes around kamloops that do have good ha- caddis hatches, but for the most part, I would say like, like the, the lakes surrounding Kamloops, um, are, are very much chronomid lakes. Right. And then you get into your, your damsels and dragons and whatever, but, uh, and, and you do get the, the caddis on certain lakes, but I, I find like caddis especially are, are a little bit more water body specific, right? Like you oh, go yeah. to yeah. most still waters in, in May and June, depending on elevation and whatever, like, like, you know, there's going to be chronomids there, but not, not every lake has uh, like prolific uh, caddis hatches no. from what I've seen. No, amen. I just know myself a tea-colored lake with lots of lilies, usually lined by reeds. Usually, that's where the caddis are hanging out. You know, uh, there's a mm-hmm. I think of a few lakes more over. I'm just going to throw a town out there more towards Princeton area. Uh, there's some pretty good caddis lakes, but uh, and like you say in the Caribou. But um, <clears throat> there's a lake very close to me that used to have the most prolific caddis hatch I've probably seen anywhere. And I will tell you in the last 25, 30 years, it, it's not what it used to be. I don't know why, but um, there seems to be a lot yeah. less caddis. Yeah, I think the water, like some of the water, um, like 
like all like the the pH balance and things like that, it, it definitely has an effect too, right? Like there's um, a popular lake around Kamloops that's kind of been like on this like range of cycles because the water level has been fluctuating so much, and then you get like the when the lakes are really alkaline, the the bug activity is actually like the they can't form uh, like from what I've understood and read and stuff like that. Their their exoskeletons kind of but like you need like very specific parameters for for bug activity to uh to be able to like thrive in those environments whether it's like a, a slightly alkaline or a slightly acidic environment it just depends so i think also each species of insect um depending on what like the the chemistry is like in those waters will it will kind of um dictate what like the the main drivers of, of food in those lakes are as well too right mm-hmm. yeah no 100 percent I love it. Well, listen, man, I, I love what you're up to. I can't, I can't believe uh, how lucky you are to be doing what you're doing. And I think you're living a lot of people's dream, especially in the fishing world. But uh, being a fisheries technician along with a guide simultaneously and uh, spending lots of time at the Vice. Thanks, Jason, for taking the time. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. We, we should do this again. Yeah, for sure. That would, uh, that would be awesome. And, uh, yeah, definitely would love to see you out on the lake someday. What, how do we, what's the best way to book a trip? Like, is it basically just, uh, Google interior fly fishing company and reach out or what's the best way to, uh, kind of plan a trip for this coming year? Yeah. Uh, so interior fly fishing has, uh, like a few different ways of getting in contact. Uh, like you go through Instagram. I think it's at interior fly fishing co. Um, there's a Facebook page, uh, and a website and, and all that kind of stuff. So any of those things, um, yeah, through the website or through Instagram, Facebook, any of those are, are a good way to, uh, to book a trip with us. If we want to follow you on Instagram and see these giant fish you're, uh, chasing, what's your uh, Instagram handle? Uh, my Instagram handle is, uh, Jason B one eight zero. Beauty. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Have a great, uh, season on the water and tight lines. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait for it films featuring fly fishing videos and camera related content, custom music from Damian Anderson, and by brokentippet.com.